بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد نسلی اللہ رسول الکریم اما بات الحمد للہ جنائٹ از دا ایتھ آف ڈسمبر ان دی ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ ٹوئنٹی in this world. So first a report. In Abu Nu'im al-Hilya, Sufyan al-Thawri rahmatullah alayhi, he said, work for this world according to your stay within it and work for the hereafter according to your stay within it. Subhanallah. So look how beautifully he summed up the mat. He goes, Work for the world as long as you remain within it. So if you have a good innings, a hundred years. So you work in the world for a hundred years. But then he says, but for the hereafter work according. So what was he really saying? The great Sufyan authority. He was saying that you should be really truly focused upon the hereafter. The world is really, you can't even compare. That's not even an exaggeration. How can you compare to eternity? So even if you lived a million years on this world, it's still nothing compared to the hereafter. But we don't live a million years. We don't live a hundred thousand years. We don't live a thousand years. If you're lucky, you live a hundred. And yet, look at how much effort people make for this world. And yet, when it comes to the hereafter, where you're going to spend eternity... How much effort are you making for that? People are dragging their feet. And in a direct report, our beloved messenger said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in Ibn Adi, work for the world as if you are going to live forever. But work for the hereafter as if you are going to die tomorrow. So look how beautiful. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that when it comes to your world, you're living forever. So now if you knew you were going to live forever, would you do overtime? <laughs> you know, you just take it easy. I'm here forever. I just, why am I killing myself? <laughs> so that's the mindset the Prophet said you should have for the world. <laughs> But he then said, But for the hereafter, work as if you're going to die tomorrow. <laughs> so imagine somebody taps you on the shoulder and he says, I've got some uh, good news and bad news. Because what's the good news? Because you'll be moving on to the next life soon. Because that's the good news. Because what's the bad news? You got to tomorrow. Now, how would you suddenly change your lifestyle in those 24 hours? Why? Because you realize I've only got 24 hours. So why have you done that? Because you now know with certainty that I've only got a short time. And the Prophet said, look at the guidance he's given. Because work in the world as if you're going to die, live forever. Work for the hereafter as if you're going to die tomorrow. Now, Sufyan al-Tawri, the one I mentioned at the beginning, Rahmatullah he said something very interesting. In Imam Zahabi, in his seer, he once took his meal one night and he said, when a donkey's fodder is increased, its workload is also increased. He then spent the whole night praying until morning. So imagine he's at his meal, maybe a supper. And he says that if a donkey is fed and he knows he's been fed more than is what is usual, 
the donkey realizes that he's going to be working. So what did he do after eating his meal? He prayed all night. So know the mindset. Their mindset was to work. Right? In other words, for the hereafter. And similarly, Imam Zahabi in his seer, Abdul Razak Rahmatullah said, when Sufyan al-Tawri came to us, Rahmatullah, we cooked him a good dish of meat and he ate the meat. Then I brought him dried grapes of Taif and he ate the grapes. He then said, O Abdul Razak, fatten the donkey and now labor it. He then started performing the Salat until Fajr. <laughs> so he was invited. And the Sunnah is when you're invited that you eat and you eat to please the one who's invited you. So you can eat to your fill. There's no harm if you're invited. So he ate more than what was usual. He ate meat and grapes. But then after he had fulfilled the rights of the guest, he goes, you fattened the donkey. <laughs> now he needs to work. <laughs> and then he works. He worshipped the entire night. So what does that tell you about Sufyan al-Thawri? He was a very, very deeply, you know, insightful man. And he was thinking deeply about matters, rahmatullah. And also, there is a report, and this is in Abu Nu'im al-Hilya and Hayat al-Sahaba. This person came to this locality, and he was blown away by the people's worship. So he went into a locality, and imagine he sees people praying for two, three hours. He sees another person reciting the Quran for a couple of hours. He sees another, and he's just blown away. He's thinking, these people, who are these people? So the man then goes to Salman al-Farsi, companion of the Prophet And he says, I've never seen people like this. Or companion of the Prophet So Salman al-Farsi, he then gave a beautiful clarification. He said, this, what you're witnessing, is because they've been fed. <laughs> so the man asked for clarification. He said, these people, they've been fed, they've been given knowledge. So when they've been fed, they're spiritually very strong. And that manifests. So you're seeing people who have been fed. So what he was basically saying was, it's not by chance that you're seeing people doing what they're doing. Because you don't know what effort they've made. But the end product is their worship. When we were discussing the prayer for the last two nights, what did I mention? Salat is the product of your effort. So when you actually pray, you can work out how much effort has this person made. If a person's praying and he's speedy Gonzalez, what does that tell you? His iman's very weak. But if he's praying and you notice that he's focused, that means he's working, but he's manifesting. So that's why salat is an indicator. The Prophet said in Tirmadi, salat is a burhan, salat is a proof of your iman. And this is why there's five prayers a day. Why? Because you can gauge you know, how your iman is fluctuating. So also, what takes a person away from the understanding, i.e. from the Akhirat? In Sayyid Bukhari, our beloved messenger, he said, Miserable is the slave of the dinar and the slave of the dirham. Miserable is the slave of the dinar and the slave of the dirham. So dinar and dirham, 
The dinar is a gold coin, it's an old currency. And the dirham is a silver coin. What did the Prophet say? You can be a slave of money. But if you become a slave of money, you will be miserable. And this is the sadness. The Prophet told you that. And what else did he say? He said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, in Ibn Hiban Sayyid Hadith, the standard which people always foolishly turn to is money. The standard which foolishly many people turn to is money. So they look at a person's status and what they gauge the status of wealth. And if you go into the education system, that's what they teach you, that's what they're imbibing you. Higher up, you get a better wage, you get a better person. So let me ask you a question. What if you've got somebody with a very high wage bracket and he's a rapist? Now what? Right? And then he goes, then he, the breakdown occurs. Because your standard is money. But you might have a shaitan with money. And then what about the pious person who's got very little? Is he nothing? So note it's a fake standard. And the Prophet said, you will tend to this. He goes, this is just ignorance on the part of people. But then he mentioned, you'll always be miserable. And how many times do you get people who mention this? So obviously I'm not a millionaire. But the people who are, and they're non-Muslims, ask them. I always mention the example of Stan Collymore, very famous footballer, played for Liverpool, I think. And uh, he himself said, and he, he got depressed. And he was heavily, he was drinking, and then he came out, he was an alcoholic, he came out of it, and eventually he, did, he wrote a book. And what he basically said, Stan, Stan Collymore was, he said, I was going up the ranks in football. And my wage was increasing. And I thought if I get to the next stage, I'll be happy. So imagine he goes to a, a, a club lower down in the divisions, getting a certain amount of money. He, he, he moves to another club, gets more money. Because I'm still as miserable. And then he goes, I got to the top of the tree, meaning Liverpool. And he goes, all I saw was darkness. Meaning they lied to me. Who lied to him? He doesn't mention who he lied. Because they lied to me. Meaning that wealth isn't where you get happiness. And then they mock. What's interesting is, you know, they mock people. So they're miserable. But they'll come out with statements like this. Oh, people who haven't got money, they talk like that. Right? Because that's why you're saying it. But then you point the... Well, because why are you looking at me for? I didn't say it. Notice it irritates them. When you talk, why? Because they know there's an illness. And they start having a go. Well, I'm not saying, go have a go with Stan Collymore. Don't have a go at me. I don't, I don't even think he believes in God. And then you get people, highest suicide rates amongst the wealthy. Highest drug users amongst the wealthy. Where's this panacea you're talking about? Right? So note, the Prophet said it. Miserable is the slave of the dinar. Miserable is this. He gave you the answer. You're trying to work it out. Meaning, we don't worship money. This is why Hafiz ibn Taymiyyah, Rahmatullah, said in Majmu Fatawa, treat wealth like the toilet. Use it when you have a need. So imagine, somebody goes to you, I know a person, he looks at wealth like the toilet. So first you think, well, is, he, is he all there? Right? And he goes, no, no, can I explain? And he goes, go and explain. What do you mean he looks at the wealth like a toilet? 
because he only turns to it when he needs it. <laughs> so for instance, if somebody goes to you, do you love your toilet? He goes, what sort of a question is that? Right? He goes, no, I'm just asking. He goes, well, it's comfortable. He goes, I didn't ask you comfortable. Because do you love your toilet? And he goes, why would I love my toilet? Then he goes, I'm just asking. No, I don't love my toilet. Then you say, I know many people who love their toilet. Why would they love their toilet? Right? You know, think about that. But if a person goes, the toilet is a place where I fulfill my need. When I fulfill my need, I get out. And what's interesting about toilets, who reside there? Angels. Well, you know, very interesting with this, you know, the scholars' analogy about things, mashallah. In a report, in Tabarani, Shaykh al-Bani authenticated in Sayyih al-Jami'ah, it mentions, it is enough provision for one of you in the world that he has that which is Zad al-Raqib. So what did the hadith mention? Sayyih hadith. This is enough for you from the world. Zad al-Raqib. What does that mean? Bali enough for the journey. <laughs> Somebody goes, what? He goes, this is enough from the world. No time working out. Bali enough for the journey. <coughs> so a person goes, but isn't he talking about a horse there? No, he's not talking about a horse. He's talking about a human being and the jinn. The two thakalain, the two heavy ones who are going to be accounted for. So why? That's the answer you're trying to work out. You've got a journey ahead of you. You just need enough food to travel. So think about that. Look how beautiful. The Prophet is just explaining, you know, what you need from the world. Because you just need enough to travel. When people travel light, don't they travel quick? If you've got two, three, four suitcases, even other people get fed up with you. Especially if you're in front of them, they go, oh. right? And then his way is out. Then he goes, oh, you got to take some stuff out. And the guy behind cursing you, man. Then you get another guy. He's got his like, backpack. And everybody's smiling at him, thinking, hey, he's a good guy, right? And he just goes straight through, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm luggage, stay in. Right? So there's the analogy. A person who's light, who travels light, he travels quick. Abu Darda, one of the companions of the Prophet in Behaki, authentic hadith, his wife goes, why don't you ask to be a governor? So Abu Darda said, I heard the Prophet say, ahead of you there is a long journey and only those who are light will travel the journey easily. <laughs> Meaning, why do you want to become a governor? You're asking me to be, you know, to slow down on the journey because stuff that... <laughs> So they were after power. They were after just getting through the journey. Like Hafiz ibn Taymiyyah rahmatullahi said in Majmu, sorry, Hazrat Ali radiyallahu said in Abu Nu'im al-Hiliya, the journey is long, the provision is short, and the way is dangerous. The journey is long, the provision is short, and the way is dangerous. So the journey is long. How long is your journey? You got 100 years in the world. You have a good innings. Then you spend 2,000 years in the grave. So that's 2,100. And then you spend 50,000 years on the day of judgment. So that's 52,100 years. And then you got Bridge of Sirat. So let's say about 55,000 years. You got a 55,000 year journey ahead of you. And you've got 100 years to prepare for it. So the journey is long. And what then did Hazrat Ali Radiyallahu say? The provision is short. You've only got 100 years. 
How do you prepare for a journey which is longer than your stay on the earth? <laughs> and then he said, if that wasn't bad enough, the way is dangerous. Meaning that you've got such a short time. But there's enemies also attacking you, making you forget your, you know, your purpose. And then you get lost in dunya. One guy dies on beach with speedos on. Right? The other guy dies on climbing Mount Everest. You know, what the heck is going on there? Right? They just lost in dunya. How can one not sacrifice in this mortal life, which on average is of 60 to 70 years, when you have eternity? You know, when people start saying to you, you've got to sacrifice. And people then actually start thinking, this is, is it really a sacrifice? If somebody goes to you, live an angelic life, stop all sin, do good deeds. Oh, brother, you're asking too much. Amma? Why are you thinking like that? Because you think you're going to live a million years. But if you've got eternity in paradise, it should be no problem. In fact, one of the Salaf said something very interesting. Very interesting way to get a person thinking outside of the box. One of the Salaf said in Abu Nu'im al-Hilya, he said, if a person who is living a very righteous life, he dies and he enters paradise and he's asked in paradise, would you like to go back to the world? He would say, yes, so I can do more good. And he goes, and if a very sinful person dies, goes to hell, and he's told, would you like to go back to the world? He will say, yes, so I can avoid sins. Then the son of said, your bike, so work. <laughs> your bike, so work. Meaning, what you're thinking of. But, you know, again, you know, people, you know, I don't know what planet they are. Astaghfirullah. And just to add a few things to wrap up. There's a hadith. So this hadith is in Hakim Sahih, Zahabi Sahih, Ibn al-Mubarak. And Shaykh al-Bani authenticates it in Ta'liq al-Raghib Sayyih. Ibn Abi Mulaika, rahmatullah, he said, We were sitting with Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As on a rock face. So picture the scene. So one of the companions is sitting on a mountain face, maybe on, you know, on, on an elevated place of the mountain. And some of the students were with him. Suddenly, Abdullah ibn Amr said, radiyallahu Weep. <laughs> so the students looked at each other and they were thinking, has he ordered us to weep? Then he said, if you can't weep, pretend to weep. He goes, if only you knew, but you don't. You would pray until you broke your back and you would weep until you lost your voice, but you have not grasped the reality. This is why you are acting those. So let's look at this. This is a Sahih Hadith. Not a story, you know, like Aesop, right? So this is a Sahih Hadith. Now look how interesting. What are they doing on a mountain? No idea. Right? So whenever they are, they're always, you know, telling each other about the reality. You know, what, what, what do we do on mountains? Oh, look at that river. Mashallah. Right? So... Abdullah ibn Amr, what did he say? So you get this impression that he's looking at his students and they're not focused. So look how he got their focus. He goes, weep. So be honest, if I suddenly said that to you, start crying. You think, what's the user talking about now? Then I say to you, if you can't cry, pretend to cry. 
Then look what he said. If you knew, meaning you haven't got that level of Iman, your Iman is weak. If you had reached that level, you would offer Salat until your bike broke. So think about that. They're not now interested about numbers. I'm doing 17 rakats. Don't know about that, brother. The guy's broke his bike. Because he'd break his back in Salat. And he would weep or she would weep until they lost their voice. But you don't know. So now what's fascinating, this is a Sahaba talking to Tabi. Now what did I mention a few nights back? There's a vast drop when he comes down to these generations. Well, no, scrappy, right? We don't know what's happening. But when you actually look at this, you're thinking, as a Sahaba, yes, he is. He's rebuking Tabi'in. As if to say, what's happening? What is this? In Lata'if al-Ma'arif, Hafiz ibn Rajab al-Hambali, he said something very interesting. Admonition, warning, is just like a whip which strikes and affects the heart just as whipping would affect the body. After the striking stops, the effect will stop to be the same as it was when you were struck. So stop in the report. So Hafiz ibn Rajab, very famous scholar, he said, when you are encouraging each other, warning each other, it's like a whip, but it's not a physical whip. It's a whip which is striking your heart, but it's not your heart, it's a spiritual heart it's striking. Then he said, you will notice that after you stop striking, the effect wears off. Then he said, the effect of the pain depends on the force with which one is struck. Hence, whenever one is struck with a great force, the pain evidently remains for a much longer time. So somebody goes to you, who hit the people with the atomic bomb spiritually, Rasulullah. So what impact did the Sahaba get? <laughs> they were struck with the prophetic, the, the prophetic rank. They were knocked for six, if you like. So they're, they're still feeling it. So many goals, mashallah. Who was struck with the, the next bomb down? Gustabi. Because who struck them? The Sahaba. But notice, even if you get a weak striking, it's benefited you. So even if it's like you just got a few like little you know, taps, there's something there. But you will notice that sometimes you get knocked for six. Now what is that? Now there's a secret here. The secret here is, if a person is talking from his heart, it will reach the heart. If he's just narrating, it's not going to get anywhere. It goes from the ear to the mouth to the ear. If you're more sincere, Allah Ta'ala blesses you. This is why one of the Salaf said that if a scholar does not act upon what he knows, his admonition slides off people's hearts like ice slides off rock. Meaning, because he, he's not going to affect you. It's impossible. But if a person is sincere, Allah Ta'ala puts blessings in his words. And there's nobody more sincere than the Prophet So let me give you one example to finish. So this narration is in Darimi in his Musnad, Qurtubi in his Tafsir, Ma'rifal Quran, Volume 1, page 193-6. The Umayyad Khalif, Suleiman ibn Abdul Malik. So who is this? So who was the first Khalif? MashaAllah. Very good. Who was the second Khalif? Who was the third? Fourth? Fifth? Sixth? 
Seven. 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 So he was the son of Marwan. Abdul Malik ibn Marwan had two sons. One of them was Walid ibn Abdul Malik. He was the 11th Khalif. When he passed away, his brother became the Khalif. Suleiman ibn, uh, ibn Abdul Malik, he was the 12th. Who was the 13th? Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. So this Khalif was the 12th. Suleiman ibn Abdul Malik, the reason I mentioned that is because Job blogs otherwise, right? Job blogs, mashallah, right? So the Umayyad Khalif Suleiman ibn Abdul Malik, he wanted to find a Sahaba. He goes, find me a Sahaba no, still alive. So they looked and they looked, they couldn't find any company, he missed them. On being informed, that Abu Hazim was the only man of this kind left, meaning he's not a Sahaba, but he's the next best, Abu Hazim, senior Tabi'in. He lives in the city of the Prophet. He goes, do you want me to call him? So Suleiman ibn Abdul Malik said, yes, bring him. So Abu Hazim comes, yes, to his little Mu'minin. So Abu Hazim comes. The Khalif asks him, he goes, oh Abu Hazim, you can speak freely. In other words, I'm not going to say anything to you. Just answer me truthfully. Why do I do not like to die? Because I have a dislike for death. Because I am the most powerful man on the earth. But I'm, I don't want to die. He goes, why is that? So Abu Hazim, he says, can I speak freely? He asked him again. He goes, yes. So he said, you have made your world flourish and you've turned the next world into a desert. So why would you want to live, leave a flourishing city for the desert? So he goes, you're in the palace, you got slaves, you got servants, you eat what you want, you drink what you want, you marry into paradise. You're here after the desert. So he goes, who in his right mind goes, I'm, gonna, I'm looking forward to going to the desert. So the Khalif nodded. And he goes, thank you, Jazakallah khair. Then he asked him, what would it be like when we have to appear before Allah? Subhanahu wa ta'ala. He goes, what will happen to me when I stand in front of Allah? Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Abu Hazim says, you will return to your Lord like somebody he loves that he has missed or like a runaway slave who has been caught and brought back. Because that's the two ways. One is you come back and he's missing you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like you miss somebody like your family member. Or you've been a naughty boy as they say and you've been caught. So then the Khalif, he started to shed tears because he knew that he's in trouble. Then he says, Oh Abu Hazim, Allah Ta'ala's mercy is great. It can cover even the greatest wrongdoers. Meaning that yes, you're right. 
He goes, maybe I'm in trouble because of my authority. But Allah's mercy is vast. So Abu Hazim then says, Are you acquainted with this verse, O Amir al-Mu'mini? Surah 7 verse 56, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, The mercy of Allah is close to the muhsinun. The mercy of Allah is close to those who do the excellent deeds. <laughs> so look what he's doing. The Khalif Salah wiggle out. He's Allah's mercy is vast. So Abu Hazim goes, as if to say, do you believe in the Quran? Mm. Of course you believe in the Quran. Allah Ta'ala puts a condition on it. My mercy is close to the muhsinun. Who are the muhsins? Those who do the purest deeds. Meaning if you're not doing deeds, satanic. You got a satanic thought. Imagine it. You get Muslims now, spliff in his mouth, speedos on. You got his, you know, two, you know, girlfriends with him. On a beach, he goes, Allah Ta'ala's mercy is vast. Something surely is wrong. The response is this verse. Allah Ta'ala's mercy is close to the muhsineen. Do you look like a muhsineen? So notice what's happening. Abu Hazim is correcting the khadif. Out of, you know, he didn't want to belittle him. He goes, you have to strive to expect the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The khalif then agreed. He then says, what do you think of me? I want you to give me your impression of me. So Abu Hazim goes, excuse me, Amir al-Mu'minin. Don't, I don't want to answer that. So the Khalif goes, now I order you. First I ask you, but now I'm ordering you. So Abu Hazim rahmatullah said, if I'm forced to speak, then listen. Your fathers established rule over the people with the sword against their will. They killed hundreds if not thousands. Having done all that, where have they gone? How I wish that you could know what they themselves are saying after their death and what people are not saying about them. So what did Abu Hazim say to him? First of all, I don't want to answer that. But he was the 12th Khalif. The Umayyad Khalifs, there was good ones amongst them. But they shed blood. So he just told his way. He goes, you are the successor of the bloodthirsty ones. And then he goes, if only you could see them now, but you can't. When he said that, the advisors, they started telling Abu Hazim off. Because you're speaking irreverently to the Khalif. So Abu Hazim said, no, I'm not speaking irreverently. I have not said anything wrong. I have done what my Lord has commanded. And the, and the Lord has commanded the scholars to speak the truth against the people. He then recited Surah 3 verse 187. You shall make it clear to mankind. You should not conceal it. The Khalif then nodded. He goes, leave him. And finally he said, O Abu Hazim, is there anything I can do for you before you leave? He goes, yes. I have got a need. He goes, what's that? He goes, I want you to save me from hell, take me to paradise. So Abu Hazim looked at the advisors. He goes, I haven't got the authority. Then he goes, then there's nothing you can do for me. Because he left. <laughs> so look at this amazing report. Now the Khalif, there's goodness with Suleiman. He was, he had goodness in him. Why? Because he did, he had yes men. 
Yes, uh, yes, uh, three bags full, sir. You know them men. So he knew I'm getting deluded here. Nobody's mentioning my failings. So he goes, I need to get a giant. And when they pulled the giant out, what happened? He brought him back to earth. He goes, listen, you're in deep trouble. But then he, he acknowledged that. He thanked him. And look at the final statement he made. He goes, yeah, they, I have got a need. Now what was the Abu Hazim really telling the Khalif? What he was really telling him was, you haven't got power. You're deluded. Because I only asked you for paradise. You can't give it to me. I wanted protection from hell. You can't. So what sort of power is that? And then he walked. He goes, So note, whether you're a prince or you're a pauper, the advice is the same. Nothing different. Right? And Alhamdulillah, you know, we're not princes. The Prophet said, you will continue to move on smoothly until there's blood in your hands. That's a hadith, sahih hadith in the sunnahs. Now most of us don't have blood in our hands. Alhamdulillah. We've got sins, but have you got blood in our hands? Right? They imagine, people are going to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What you got, what's in your credit? I know what's in your debit. Well, blood. The Prophet goes, now you've slowed down, meaning this is a serious matter. So notice the mercy of Allah is vast, but you need to avoid certain sins. And one of them is, of course, unlawful blood. So all I mentioned today was basically a reminder of the reality of this worldly life. And whatever angle you look, you realize you need to get back on track. The reminder is beneficial, Allah says. Remind the believers for the reminder is beneficial. Allah Ta'ala knows you better than yourself. Even if you've heard all this before, it's still beneficial, Allah Ta'ala says. Are there any questions you'd like to ask? Subhanallah bihamdi ismanika Allahumma bihamdika ashu la ilahi illa anta astaghfirika atubu alayka wa dhibillahi min ashidah al-jim subhanahu rabbika nabi al-izzati amma isikun assalamu alayhi wa mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen bismillahi rahman rahim wa al-asr al-nisan lafi khusr al-ladhina amalu wa amalu al-salihat wa al-wasbil haq wa al-wasbil sabr wa al-qadullah wa al-asr